Welcome to That's Dope. On today's episode, we were joined by Nikki and Swami, the legendary cannabis couple. Nikki and Swami have been at the forefront of the cannabis industry since the 1960s. Through their passion, activism and advocacy, they have worked to reform cannabis legislation and destigmatize this beautiful plant. Working in the heart of the Emerald Triangle, Nikki and Swami founded Swami Select, a brand responsible for cultivating some of the finest cannabis coming out of California. We hope you enjoy the episode. It's nice to see you guys. and It's great to know that England is progressing with the cannabis world. It's a uh... Things are starting to change over there slowly, slowly, right? We're trying, yeah, we're trying. As you say, it's small movements, but it looks like it's sort of going in the right direction. So hopefully more will unravel and the movements will come a bit a bit bigger. Yeah, yeah. we've had some really good, ah. some good initiatives, like something called the CAN card. Have you heard about the CAN card? No, no, no. no. So, so the CAN card is a newer initiative that has been backed by the police. And it basically means that anyone who... You go onto a website, if you have a medical reason for needing cannabis, you go onto a website, you type in all the reasons why you need cannabis, it then gets reviewed. And if they deem that makes sense, they'll send you a card. And then if you have that card and you get caught by the police with cannabis on you, they'll, they'll just ignore it. So it's moving us closer to decriminalization, oh, wow. which is amazing okay. and about time. Um, and we're, yeah. we're, we're hoping in our own small way through doing podcasts like this and just destigmatizing some of the narrative around cannabis because it's still i feel like we're much further behind than you are in america we're hoping by sharing this yeah. message uh, with followers in the uk that we can hopefully do something just a small part to push towards uh well what we're, our end goal is obviously legalization yeah, oh, yeah so yeah. my question about the can card is it's kind of like what happened here in california when we first got medical cannabis there was always what we used to call the, the miracle ounce and what that means is like, great, you can have it, but where'd you get it? And no one were gonna, you know, the farmer, us, was still not legal at that time. So it was like this miracle ounce, like it just appeared, you've got it, it's okay, but where's it come from? Yeah, you know? yeah. and whoever sold it or transported it, there were no rules or regs about that. So yeah, yeah. but I wanna just say that the stigma, it's very difficult to overcome the stigma. We still struggle with that over here as well. And, you know, it's definitely uh, something that uh, the negativity has been so perpetrated for like, you know, 80, 80, 90 years uh, that it's, you know, it's hard to overcome. You know, what we should realize is I've been reading the history of cannabis and lately, and I mean, our history goes back 20,000 years, fellas, you know, I mean, it's like to fabric and rope and you know it's the first medicine and so it's this heritage we need to claim and we need to start talking about you know the roman army traveled with cannabis because it was the best medicine that they had and so uh, you know it, it's really an important thing but that shift like you're talking about the you know the idea that it's still a negative thing and you know we just keep harping on the medical aspects you know every every day there's some sort of new medical use that comes out and we just have to keep trumpeting that, you know, because it was mankind's first medicine, you know, it really was. I think, yeah, when you look back, yeah. you can always find sort of traces and evidence of it from from like all over the place. Um, but as you say, it's still, even here, even though you've got that can of card, like you say, where, where does all the, where does that ounce come from and stuff like that still evolved. And even on, I think it's on the NHS, which is our sort of like, uh, universal healthcare system you can still only get it prescribed for was it three yeah three it's like specific epilepsy illnesses? um nausea from chemotherapy 
and MS, and, uh, yeah, and that's and it. MS. But if unless you go, oh, that's it. That's it. Yeah, for the oh. free stuff. And, or, and even yeah. in those situations, they've since we passed the law to legally give out cannabis for medical reasons for those three reasons, they've only given three prescriptions, and that's in oh. two and a half years. Oh, uh, they, oh, they've been busy, huh? Yeah. yeah well. <laughs> We kind of started out that way as well with a limited number of conditions that, uh, yeah. but you know, that number of conditions keeps going up from the medical community itself, the amazing research that's going on. And now I think what you maybe want to start talking about is, is what we're calling the endocannabinoid system. It's a whole system within your bodies. You guys probably know about it, but it's the, it's the thing that's the monitoring system for all of our other systems, our circulatory, our respiratory, our nervous system, our lymph system, all of that is kind of regulated by the cannabinoid system. And so we can use our own external cannabinoids, the plant cannabinoids, to, uh, to regulate that as well. So, you know, it's really important medical advance and we just have to keep, that's the way you get your foot in the door. And yeah. then you kind of, we've kind of realized that every use is sort of medical in a way because we use it for our psychological well-being, right? We use it for just feeling good. And there's something really important about just feeling good, you know? And you come home from work and, you know, you get drunk with a couple of pints or something like that. You're going to be slapping your kid, kicking the dog, hitting the wife and so on. You come home with a joint and you just mellowed out, right? <laughs> and so it's a, it's a very different kind of thing. <laughs> true. So I don't know if you heard of what happened in Oregon. I don't know if it was just yesterday or just in the last few days in the state of Oregon, how they've legalized now basically all drugs and you yeah. can, um, so you can't sell them, but you can have possession. Again, it's a miracle drug. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but of everything, it's amazing. I mean, right. heroin, methamphetamines, all psychedelics, um, cannabis, it's, it's a, it's a big step. I mean, in England, you're in a way you're more progressive than us and things like like for heroin, don't you have programs set up for people to help them over there, sort of? Or I think it once it, something more? it gets to a certain point where they'll, I think they'll try and help like wean you off, but with other sort of synthetic drugs. But you still, yeah, methadone uh, and so on. Yeah, it's, it's still yeah. class A. So if you get caught with more than I guess like a small amount, you're gonna go to prison. We do, so, we do give out. Uh, sorry, we do give out clean needles. And things like uh -huh, that just to, to okay. stop spreading disease. I think that's probably as far as we go. I'm not 100%. Hmm. And cannabis is also an incredible cure for addictions like that. It really, we have seen it with our own eyes and, yeah. and help people. And it's, it's really amazing if you just give them enough cannabis to smoke and a lot of hard work to just keep focused and get through that point period. It's really works. And I hope people realize that, yeah, yeah. you know, do the positive sides of it. Well, I also want to talk about what we've got to here is we got through the medical, we got through the recreational and so on. Uh, and all of those were fights every step of the way because there are all these people against us who just are brainwashed into this negativity. But what they're going for us now is they're, they're attacking us on environmental grounds. Right. right. And so all the farmers, we have all these uh, very extreme restrictions, more extreme restrictions for any other agricultural product in terms of water use, in terms of, you know, waste discharge water, uh, all these sorts of things. And of course here we have to also, we're, we live at the edge of the wilderness here. So they come, are, are, is our operation causing endangerment to any species? 
right? So they come and look at us from that, right? So any way they're trying to get you, they'll try and get you no matter what, you know? So you always have to be on your toes. That's the thing. It's ne- this fight is never over, guys. Yeah. It's never over now, you know? And we're, st- you know, we've been working at 50, 60 years here and we're still up against it. No question about it. Yeah. Why do you think it's yeah. been, I know obviously, like you said, the last 90 years has been, just terrible propaganda and information just spread about cannabis. It's just never been, it's so easy, disproven. It's all just lies around racial lies. It's, you know, lobbying because of hemp and whatever else. But why do you think it's been so successful, all of that speech that it still is making a difference today to, you know, people like you, you're in the middle of nowhere, like you say, you're not affecting anyone, but you're still getting kind of blocked and hit down and being given all these obstacles to get past well i it's an ingrained thing and i think i have to say it it's a certain amount of religious prejudice Hmm. right that the whole puritan movement that came out of england of course and all these different the catholics also you know you know first of all none of those strict religious movements they never they don't think you should have fun I mean, first and foremost, you're not supposed to have fun, right? And then singing and dancing and partying and so on and sharing. And then what happens with that? Then you start looking at people of different color, different race, different thing. And you say, well, they're actually really people. We're just having a great time together, right? And so what we found is cannabis is all over the world. And it's for every race, every color, every creed, every persuasion, all of that. Everybody you know, is into cannabis in some way or other. But we and it's that whole jumping forward. So it's their religious background. And I think that that they're so convinced that it's the devil's weed, you know, uh, you know, it's Satan's lettuce, they used to call it. And, uh, you know, and on the other hand, if you there's a couple of books have been written by people that, that we've gotten to know about how cannabis has been intimately involved in the development of some of those same religions. Right. I mean, was Moses stoned out of his gourd up there? The burning bush, you know, (laughs) the burning bush. Come on, you know, and what some people think that Santa Claus has read because he was eating uh, Amanita Mascara mushrooms up with the reindeer. You know, I mean, there's all this stuff that, you know, cannabis has really been at the heart of so many things. The Sufi Muslim order is all involved in cannabis. You know, there's there's a whole thing in the Bible. They talk about the, the holy anointing oil. And they used to say, well, cannabisum in Hebrew was was calamus. No, cannabisum, you guys. Cannabisum is cannabis, for God's sakes. And so the holy anointing oil, can you imagine a priest just dripping with holy anointing oil? Well, what is that holy anointing oil? You know, it, it's like cannabis oil. You just took a bath in it. Of course you're stoned. Right. So, so I just want to say, I think it's, it's also political in the modern day, especially, um, which is, you know, for just for example, simply the lobbyists that are up in Washington or in our state senates or whatever. So, for example, here in California, there's a very big wine industry. You know, some really great wine comes from here and they don't like us. They don't like us at all because we're taking away some of their business. So they have their lobbyists out there. Yeah, yeah. And that all of these different kinds of company, like drug companies that are, you know, pharmaceutical drug companies, they don't like us. They don't want to know that we're going to be able to cure people better than their overpriced bad chemistry. Um, The tobacco industry too, they don't like us because, you know, people are switching over to cannabis, right? So it's a real, and not only with the wine industry, uh, cannabis is taking their workers, 
because we have to pay them more, right? They're in, in wine, they're agricultural workers and they have like a, an $8 minimum wage. In cannabis, they're not ag workers, they're regular workers and they have a $12 minimum wage. Okay. So everybody's migrating over. So yeah, we have a lot of political, Nikki's exactly right. There's a lot of political enemies we have here sure. that we have to try and persuade and they have big money. And they have lobbyists they've had for many, many, many years. And all those legislators, they're smoking tobacco and they're drinking whiskey and so on. And they don't want to mess with us. But, hey, we're here. We're here to stay. And we're eventually going to be the majority. Yeah. I think it yeah. comes, it's, yeah, it always shows. There's always that. Like we've, we've mm -hmm. seen hemp versus cotton, hemp versus or weed versus pharmaceuticals, all that, all those times. It just always seems to be that it's against something in the mainstream. And like you say, unfortunately, the mainstream have the big corporations, the big money, the history, and we just have to keep on knocking on that door. And eventually it's going to, yeah. it's going to go. Yeah. Yeah, it will. So, it will. so we were, um, we were very pleased and proud to be in England, uh, honored actually for the product earth expo in 2019. Um, we went over with the Emerald Cup, which is, you know, the judging competition here in California that we've been judges with since it started in 2003. And a whole bunch of us like Frenchie Cannoli and different friends. Um, I know you've met Frenchie. We all went over there together. And that was really eye opening because, you know, what I saw is you know, because it still was only supposedly CBD. Um, there was also all of these fantastic displays though about hempcrete and different ways to use hemp. And so that's another way that, you know, certain lobbyists against that are gonna be on the one side that are the traditional building sources, for example, using the hempcrete. And then you're gonna have some really positive looking things like hempcrete there to, also put out as an example. So I think the more that you do that, I thought that was brilliant in England to really focus on that as well, to yeah. really bring out that positive side. That's not, it's not just about getting high. Yeah. You know, this plant has so many different qualities to it and it's not scary. It is not gonna come out of the closet and bite you. You know, if anything, it's gonna help you. So that was a great show, by the way, though. That was really yeah. fascinating. We yeah, and it. actually it was interesting because it was all CBD show we're wondering out there, we're coming from California, say, are we gonna get any good smoke here? Are we gonna get any good new smoke? And we got so yeah. much good smoke, people <laughs> were just constantly giving us buzz and so on. And you know, I'd run out and I'd go back to say, hey buddy, man, could I have another bud? <laughs> oh, sure, sure, come on, you know? And well, this ain't CBD, is it? Well, of course it's That's CBD, right? <laughs> of course it's CBD. Yeah. <laughs> No, yeah, we yeah. got real sound up there. Thanks to everybody. So, oh, so awesome. are things like that still happening? I mean, I guess not with COVID over there, but how how is the progression happening at this point? It was that Product <laughs> Earth itself, yeah, unfortunately, well, 2020 was cancelled. Um, I think I have been checking up on it since October just to see sort of what the next steps are. And it does look like they're planning on doing something for this year. Um, I can't say okay. for sure, but I think there have been a couple other ones as well where it is just purely like a CBD and hemp <laughs> expo that are probably a little bit smaller than something like Product Earth. And it's more sort of like B2B. So you'll just have uh, like, for example, I watched an interview with a guy who runs uh, a massive CBD company. They sort of make products for other companies. They were at another expo uh, at some point. It was, I think it was 2019 as well. Um, I can't remember where it is, but there's a few that are popping up around the country but as i think product earth is probably the big one and it is it does give a really good atmosphere gives you a really good idea of all the different people i've, I've been to two of them 
And I okay. just thought it was going to be sort of like seed companies, head shops, and that was it. But there was so many different people, like you say, like the hemp bricks, hemp clothing, anything to do with hemp. Yeah. So it is really cool to sort of get it all out there and see more and more people getting involved each year as well. So it's, it's positive. Yeah. 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 Well, I, I was just remembering I talked to some some young fellows who who came to talk to me and and I said, well, where are you guys growing? And they say, well, we grow on the motorway overpasses or we grow next to the motorway and stuff like that. <laughs> you know, it's because it's hidden in the weeds and so on. So, and we used to call that ditch weed out here. But apparently these guys were really cultivating it. Right. So there's this whole secret underground thing. Maybe I'm blowing the whistle on it or something like that. But it was amazing <laughs> that these guys all over the, on the motorway. Look over there, dude. There's some. <laughs> We just won't say which motorways. I think they'll get away with it that way. <laughs> there's a lot. There's there has to be guerrilla grows out here, and there are a lot. Um, and especially when everyone was locked down for the first time in March, and it was decent weather. Well, for the UK anyway, probably quite cold for you, uh, but it was decent weather, and a lot of people had a lot more time on their hands. I think people were getting quite creative uh, for a couple of months. But yeah, things are uh, things pop up in in weird and wonderful places. Yeah, yeah. But I just want to tell you out here that in in the Emerald Triangle, you know, we have a, any number of legal growers. I don't know how many, but the uh, what we call a traditional market is actually still going strong, and a lot of people are even a little more hidden. But you know, we have to say they're making a lot more money than we are because yeah. they don't have any taxes, they don't yeah. have any testing, they don't have any packaging, you know, and so on and so forth. So it's the old way. But you know, it's it's like, the problem is that you're never going to get rid of that, you know, that surreptitious, that clandestine grow because people just need the medicine and they want the high and they're going to get it some way or other. Well, so. people should be able to grow, you know, get their own seeds and grow in their backyard their personal stash, yeah. and that's that's just a god-given right yeah you know you should be able to grow your own medicine anywhere in the world yeah i think so, that should be a listed a right. fundamental right to right to grow your own food and grow your own medicine and a lot of people are doing that here more and more uh, especially now in the lockdown where people say hey i can grow my own vegetables and so on i don't need to go to market so things are really changing so that that's been another really big thing here that's very positive in our forward movement is thanks to COVID in California, we've been declared an essential product, an essential yeah. business. And that's huge. I mean, we, we literally went from illegal to essential overnight with COVID. I mean, it was just, whoa, okay. And so we actually have been doing okay. We've been selling actually quite a bit of weed during this time. Um, as people are staying home, what else are they gonna do? You know, it's a great opportunity. Um, but just to help take away that stigma, that's been an invaluable break for us really yeah, yeah. Um, to help open up people's eyes to that. And I think it's made a huge yeah. difference. And uh, part of that also is what it's used what they call a complementary medicine. So I'm not sure if you guys are aware of what the World Health Organization is doing, but they were asked by a bunch of nations to review cannabis as medicine, the World Health Organization. And one of their jobs is to protect 
local traditional medicines. So like there's medicine that they only use in parts of Africa or parts of India or even in Japan and so on. And these are ancient medical traditions. And the World Health Organization is committed to preserving those and keeping them alive because many of those places, they don't have the Western medicine. And in many places, it's better than the Western medicine, right? And so just you know, last year or so, they, they made an, uh, an analysis and they said, well, cannabis is actually a medicine and has been for, what, 10,000 years, right? Both as a separate medicine, but also as a complementary medicine. So we find that, as Nikki was referring to about the, the addiction with heroin, is that if you combine cannabis uh, with, with uh, heroin right to begin with, or what's the narcotics, whatever, then you use less of the heroin and it's easier to kick. So that complementary thing is very helpful in controlling the pain. And so now the, the United Nations has made some changes in its statements and treaties. So slowly, slowly it's moving along because there's something about the plant. There's something about this plant itself. The plant has sort of a divine presence. The, when you live and grow the plant with it, there's something special about it. There's, there's an essence in there, which, which is, I, all I can say is divine, it's the spirit. And that's where the healing property is. And that's where the property is that, that gets you inspired and really raises you up, right? And that will prevail. I'm totally convinced that that quality within the plant itself, that's what's gonna let it prevail. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it's, yeah, it, it's, it's a plant. It, it grows like naturally in many, many places in the world. Like it's, it's not something that we've just decided, okay, yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna start plotting this all over the world. It's, it's there, it has been there for probably for a lot longer than humans have. And it's just, it's amazing it's taking this long to even get to the steps that we're at now, especially given the amount of research and sort of evidence that there is now like widely available. And I think it's your steps like uh, the World Health Organization, what they're doing now, that's the only way we can really take this forward if more people sort of jump on board with that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, in the future, they'll look back at, I mean, it's really just a short blip of time that this has been illegal in the history of cannabis. And so you're like, what the hell was that about? You know, <laughs> I mean, you know, what, what were these people not understanding what this was? You know, I mean, really, you know, it's just a crazy period we're going through of, God knows why. So I have a question for you guys. In England, when we were there, people were talking about these um, social clubs that people would have or something. To, is that still happening as an avenue to be able to get high and be together yeah. and do it? Yeah, there's, there's quite a few. Pretty much every major city will have a club or, or a couple of clubs. And essentially, it's a uh -huh. place where you can go. You can smoke. Normally, all of the members of a club grow for the whole club. So someone will grow, then they will purchase from somebody else from the club. Um, and typically there's agreements where the police will just leave you alone. It's not always the case. It's not always the case, but there are typically agreements where the police know what's going on in that building and then just going to walk past it no matter what they smell. But, you know, it, it, it just depends if that's always kept to, but yeah, there, there definitely are. Yeah, they definitely very. I mean, they have that, but then I did see pre COVID obviously during COVID they've sort of not really been able to do much, but pre COVID they're, right. They were cracking down on more of them. So I don't know if there's been some sort of change in ideas of where they're at. But then again, they also cracked down on a lot more grow ups this year as well. So I don't know. The oh, police really? keep they keep moving the boundaries a little bit. And it's, know, it's, it's a tricky one. They're still obviously highly illegal. Um, but we had a phase of like that early wow. when 
it was yeah. it was sort of legal. You, that was the miracle lounge. You could have it. But then what we got a thing is that co-ops and collectives formed. And some of the members of the collective would be growing, just like you said, the members would grow. And then all everyone else would then be able to buy it. And it, the whole thing was kind of weird because it was set up to say nonprofit. You, you, you couldn't actually make a profit from this. But, uh, you know, in fact, somehow the money moved and the flow and the and the bud moved and the people got it and 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 so on and so forth so it was this like weird little gray area uh but still they had no regulations about the growers about the sale about taxes about anything so they you know when they finally did that they just nailed it down in every possible way but the funny thing is the more they're trying to control every little bit of it and make sure none of it gets into the the you know the illicit market the more it just slips through their fingers you know because <laughs> This plant grows everywhere. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, exactly. in, in in America, it's it's legal, obviously, um, not everywhere, but where it is, it's legal to sort of possession, smoking, growing up to a certain amount. But you still there's there isn't places like social clubs in America where you can just go and sort of sit with your buddies and have a smoke, is there? Not like an Amsterdam well, actually, style. That, sort of that was just starting to begin before COVID, where for about probably about a year before COVID started, there would be dispensaries, certain stores, they would set up a lounge. And so they did, at least here in California, it was possible, not every state, yeah. but yeah. there would be a lounge part of the dispensary where you could go and everything would be set up nicely and they'd have all the equipment you'd need and really beautiful. Some of them were great. And then of course, COVID came and changed all that, but yeah. we're definitely hoping that's going to come back. I'm sure it will, because that was a very popular thing and it really helped with, um, you know, I mean, there was like one in the San Francisco, I know that it like it opened at eight in the morning. So people could go there before work and hang out and get high. I mean, it's like, wow, that's that's wake and bake. Yeah, yeah. yeah. at the table, they'd have a dab rig and so on. You could buy your lids there. You could roll your joint and smoke and so on. But uh, yeah, so that's that's what's happening. <laughs> and uh, you know, the other thing that's going on is we, we are going to have the Emerald Cup this year but it's gonna be a virtual Emerald Cup. We didn't yeah. have it in the fall because of the lockdown. And actually, when is it? Well, it's usually in December, in the middle of December. Um, and we obviously couldn't do it. So what we're gonna be doing this year is um, doing the judging. In fact, we'll be starting the judging on February 13th is when we get our first samples as judges. And the event itself, I'm not sure the exact date, but it's towards the end, middle to end of March. And it'll be different virtual. I mean. <laughs> The Emerald Cup in its heyday was amazing. I mean, that's all I can say. What we got away with, God knows how we did it, you know, really. And, you know, it would be like, imagine 30,000 people just openly buying, selling, you know, before it was 100% legal in 2018, anything happened there. Cause you didn't have to go through a distributor. You didn't have to have yeah. any of these taxes. So, you know, you set up a booth and you sell weed directly to people. It was fantastic. Yeah. That's how it should be. No, yeah, so well. now more and more, all these rules and regulations have come in, but it is still the essence. It is still the, um, you know, we try to bring the Emerald Triangle vibe down to the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area, where we do the yeah. event. Um, it might eventually end up moving down to Southern California too. Well, I mean, we'll see. It's um, well, if it's if it's, it's virtual, a, it if it's virtual, anywhere. it's anywhere. Yeah. You know, yeah. it'll be different. Yeah, no, it's yeah. good for so us. We we can join. Yes, yes, that's you true. Can. You can see it. But in the old days, imagine uh, a room with uh, about ten judges, and every judge usually has a partner assistant. 
And then out on a table, there are 600 jars, right? Each one with three ounces of really beautiful flour in it with just a number on it, right? And so we then are like, you know, what, what do you call it? Like kids in a playpen or something like that. You open up every jar and you smell it and you look at it and, you, and so on. And then we would sort of like organize them and to say, okay, these are the real fruit, uh, fuelies. Oh, here's most of the fruities. Here's some like pineys, whatever, and do that and judge them out that way. But we would see all these things and you big out these beautiful, beautiful buds. And then we'd go home with a, with a one gram sample but we've seen the whole uh, entry, right? And smelled it and looked at it and so on. And then we would go home with the one gram and then judge that by smoking it and so on, take it, you know, very elaborate notes and so on and so forth. So we're gonna be doing that again uh, this year uh, in somewhat more uh, COVID friendly circumstances, yeah. Uh, yeah, but uh, we're gonna do it. <laughs> somehow, but yeah, no, there's, so on during Emerald Cup judging where, well, generally what we do is about eight, up to 18 samples a day. Wow. You know, after that, it gets a little blurry, but- um, Well, we can't do anything else either. We're just- <laughs> If you, if you, you need an extra pair of hands or pair of lungs, yeah. maybe I'll just put- Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. here as well, yeah. We well, always do, yeah. we always do. <laughs> no, we yeah. always have friends in to help us with the judging. Because we have to do a little write-up about each right. one and kind of describe it. So yeah, we always need help with new adjectives. Yeah, <laughs> I think that honestly, then, that's, you know, that's the hardest. That's the hardest thing. Yeah. We, you see some of the descriptions about strains that are out there, yeah. and you just have to think, where do people yeah. come up with these things? It's amazing. We, but, I think yeah. the best one we read recently was it was like a the smell of a high school student's gym, gym shoes or yeah. gym socks. Oh yeah, mixed oh, with. Oh no, exactly. That. I remember that one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we remember. Exactly I remember that, that one. No, no, that's that's there's, there's also the, often the high school gym or the um, yeah. yeah. There's you know there's a little bit of armpit sometimes you know I mean, yeah. all these things come well, see, in yeah. So what we always tried to do is make a reference outside the cannabis world. So if we get, you know, this joint and we say, oh, well, that's just like that purple Urkel cross with a granddaddy this and the lemon haze. Well, anybody outside the cannabis world doesn't even know what you're talking about, right? <laughs> so what we say, well, that's got a little bit of cardamom in there and maybe some mothballs and, you know, that uh, chlorine from the swimming pool and so on. And then people, and then they smoke and they say, damn it, you're right. That does <laughs> smell like that. Right. And so on. But, but you relate it to something outside the cannabis world because why? Because because those things have terpenes, just like the terpenes and then the same terpenes. Right. And so it's the terpenes. And that's what we found out over the years is that everybody talks about CBD and THC and so on. And now they're talking about CBG, CBI, CBA, da, 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 da. But really what fine tunes your high is the terpenes. Right, because the terpenes have antifungal, antiviral effects, but they also really affect your your high in it. And so, you know, you really need to know not just the THC CBD ratio, but what are all the terpenes in there? And if you're getting couch lock, it's not because it's it's indica rather than sativa. It's because there's a lot of myrcene and maybe alpha caryophylline in there. Instead, that's what's giving you the couch lock, not the THC CBD ratio. So we have to up our game and really understand what's going on here. And, and what that does is it tunes in our senses. 
You know, we have people who would judge you to say, you know, I didn't really know how to taste anything. Then we got into judging and all of a sudden I know how, and now I'm tasting everything that way, right? There's what's in there and, and smelling it and touch. So the tasting is, and the terpene thing, that's really where the essence of it is. And we always say it's the terpenes that win the Emerald Cup, mm -hmm. right? Not the TAC. And over the years we found the highest TAC never wins because they're not necessarily the most sophisticated, they're not the best, the most flavorful, the most involving complex thing. So, yeah. so how can someone focus on developing their terpene profile versus just thinking about getting the most amount of THC out of a plant? Well, what you can do is you can go to the store and you can buy a little bottle that says, no, you can't do that, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, there are bottles that say terpene, what, but that's not what happens. You have to ask to go back even further. Why does the plant make terpenes? And the scientists tell us that the plant makes terpenes for several reasons. One, to attract certain uh, bugs and bees and animals that um, take the pollen. It has other ones that it wants to repel, right? It also has antiviral, antifungal qualities that protect the plant in the moisture in the evening and so on. So if you want a higher terpene profile, first of all, grow out full in the full sun, and then it'll respond to the nature, right? And so it'll produce terpenes to respond to the threats to the plant. The other thing about it is feed it well, yes. I think the most important thing about a high terpene profile, <coughs> excuse me, it's to harvest in the dark. I tell people this, get up early in the morning while it's still dark and cut your plant before the first light because there's a graph of terpene production and it's at the highest just before first light in the morning. And wine grapes, they do that too. And when you, you know, farmers, they always harvest their lettuce earliest in the morning because it's the sweetest. So the same thing here, this is the maximum terpene, the maximum TAC level is in the dark before first light. So when you harvest then, and you're growing outdoors, that's when you get your maximum terpenes on a healthy plant. Oh. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it looks like terpenes are playing like a much bigger part now, um, especially from, from, what, from where we go. We, we sell seeds as well as having the podcast. So a lot more, we're seeing a lot more companies, including the terpene profiles within within yeah. it some of them yeah. even have sort of like terpene percentage as long as as well as the as well as the cbd and the thc and everything else. so i've still getting my head around a little bit but it does seem to be yeah. Yeah. that's really what's kicking on now and i think the more testing we do the more legalization that gets done the more we might and i don't know if you guys might agree with this or disagree the more we'll be able to sort of perfect the i don't know maybe the changing or the enhancing of the terpene profile or do you think is it just something that's naturally we might not be able to sort of mess around with it well that's you know when when people do breeding right you don't breed for indica or sativa <laughs> that's not what you're breeding for number one you're, you're probably breeding for a little bit of thc cbd <clears throat> you're really breeding for terpenes in those crosses right <clears throat> and up here, people breed for early harvest, right? 
because the rains start coming. So there are many things you can be starting just genetically selecting for. And, and so you wanna really do that. So one of the main things people have learned now is to, to, to select breeding for your terpenes or up here for early harvest uh, and various other things, or now also say mold resistance or mildew resistance, all these different things where the breeders are getting much more sophisticated and dialing stuff in and with those experiments to say, well, this plant does really, really good in a hot, dry climate, but it just never has enough time in a rainy, when the rains come in the fall. So don't grow it here, grow it somewhere else, right? Mm -hmm. And so, and then that leads naturally into another thing that we've been both very active with, which is the, the whole idea of appellations, right? You know how wine, champagne, Bordeaux, all those things, the appellation of wine is a guarantee to the consumer that this is the genuine article. If it says champagne from the province of Champagne, that's what it is, right? But it also gives the farmer a higher price because it's a, a certified product, right? So we've been working here in California on creating uh, standards, practices, and different cultivars for appellation, because what makes the cannabis different, really, when you're growing in full sun, is where you grow it. What are the physical, environmental, what's in the soil, what's in the water, what's in the climate, what was the weather that year? So now in the indoor growers, they keep wanting to make a product that's exactly the same year in, year out, year in, year out. In the wine industry, we don't want to do that. In the wine industry, we want to celebrate every year being different, every vineyard being different, every grape being different. And so that, you know, Vineyard X grows a Cabernet and it tastes very different from Vineyard Y growing a Cabernet. And we celebrate that. And so for outdoor cannabis, sun-grown cannabis, we're working to say, okay, let's celebrate the differences because we know out here, if you grow a certain cultivar on the coast, it's gonna do a different thing than that same cultivar grown up at 3000 feet up on the mountain surrounded by pine trees, right? So we're trying to make that so that we have these appellations, which know if you're getting something that comes from Mendocino County up on Bell Springs Road, and it says that, then you know it really comes from there. And that's where, let me just say it, the best dope in the whole world comes from, right? So. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what we're working on, Appalachians for Cannabis. And it's worldwide, you see. So if you have Lebanese hash or Moroccan hash or Afghani hash or Nepalese hash, it's genuine article. It really comes from there and it's certified. And that means the farmer is not only getting a good price, but he's world renowned. I think it's, it's interesting how it's come. It's, I don't know if you can say it, it's sort of coming back to this because some of the seed companies that we sell, like there's some from Holland where if you look at their packaging from sort of like, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, it, it will detail on the packaging, which hemisphere this grows well in, which ones it doesn't, how much light, what time and stuff like that. But now they, well, for the last 10, 15 years, they haven't had that on the packaging. It's all sort of disappeared. Whereas now with the terpenes and everything you've just been talking about there, it's sort of making itself back. And maybe they shouldn't have gone away from that in the first place. I don't know. It's, it seems like that's really important. Yeah. 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 It's really important. No, that is really important. Yeah. That's like, for example, the, we grow here. Um, we do a little breeding just for ourselves for, you know, R&D sort of stuff. But basically, we get most of our seeds from local people because we know that it's going to grow really well right here where we live. And so, you know, it's been tried and tested right here in our area. So 
it just kind of makes sense. And, and so you'd want to get, you know, altitude is important, all of those things, how far you are from the ocean or, you know, yeah. you know the winds and all of that is so important. Absolutely. Yeah. And now we're also doing, um, you know, we're required to do a whole lot of lab testing here in America, especially California, extreme lab testing. It's, um, Costs, it costs well over $400 for each cultivar that you test. Um, so that adds up, you know, it's quite expensive. And, but we're also getting now terpene testing. So we don't only get, you know, your THC CBD ratio and whether it has any pesticides and what's in it and to make sure it's safe, it has to pass all of these different, you know, whether there's any metals or anything bad in there, but it's also get the terpene test is fast, fascinating. And that's what we tell people to really look at, you know, we can, we're legally required to list the THC CBD content on the packaging, but it's really the terpenes people yeah, should be looking yeah, at yeah, to find yeah. out what they're, they're looking yeah. for. We have some friends who run the testing labs and they did some uh, metadata research because they've been testing for like 10, 12 years now. They've tested 100,000 different samples and they found over all these samples that myrcene <coughs> was the dominant terpene in 43% of all samples, no matter whether you say it's indica, sativa, no matter what, right? And I can't remember, I think beta carophylline was the yes, next yeah, one. Yeah. And uh, then the other ones were linalool and pinene and so on. But there were like five of these major terpenes and uh, 40, as I said, 40% were uh, myrcene dominant, the others and so on. But then there's also the other entourage or the ensemble of the other terpenes that are there. So maybe you have maybe a beta carophylline dominant but it's got linalool, pinene, humulene, and these others in there. And that's making this beautiful sort of complexity that you know, is so, so joyful to a real cannabis connoisseur, right? And so you know, we're just trying to uh, heighten the, pro the, 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 the natural terpenes that are sort of embedded in the genetics of the plant, and we give them a chance to come out right? And they always respond to the threats from their environment and also from proper nourishment. And, uh, you know, so the terpenes are super important. We had these friends who were uh, helping children with epilepsy and they had this uh, cultivar that was working for them. And all the children responding were having, instead of hundreds of, of seizures, they were having one or two or something like that. And then they, they ran out of that supply and they went back to the farm and they got a new supply and it didn't really work. And they said, well, what happened? Why isn't it working? So they went back to the farm and they said, hey, listen, it tests the same CBD, it tests the same THC, but something, it's not working. And what happened is that the terpenes were different. And so what did they say to the guy? Well, what did you do? He said, I don't know. I, I changed what my nutrients. And so... It was not the TAC and the CBD doing the job. Right. It was all together. Right. We call that the ensemble. And that's what we really have to tell people. It's, there's 500 ingredients possible in cannabis, 500 compounds. This plant is the most amazing chemical factory ever created, right? But if you're only focusing in on one or two, there's like 498 ones you're not paying attention to. And that's where the action is of it all together. So we keep emphasizing that it's the whole plant and the best medicine likewise comes from extractions from the whole plant, right? And from cannabis, well, so um, anyway, I don't want, anyway, that's enough. <laughs> no, I think that's, I think that's so interesting because we were actually, we recorded the podcast a week ago, we've not released it yet. And we were speaking with some lawyers who work in the UK 
um, cannabis the regulation law and stuff like that. And we were somewhat fantasizing about what the future of medical cannabis could look like in the UK. And something um, one of the lawyers said is we could get to a point where we've got these different patented formulas that work for different conditions. Right. And I was thinking about that after the podcast, what could that look like? And based on what you've just said, uh, kind of thinking, you know, uh, this percentage of limonene mixed with this percentage of myrcene could then treat eczema or, you know, this, right. yes. this myrcene could treat whatever. And it's just an interesting thing to think about the future of how the medicine can really be, uh, you know, specifically to treat certain conditions. I just think it's really interesting yeah. how it can work like that. Well, because the medical profession, once they found out about the endocannabinoid system within our bodies, that not only do we make this stuff, but it's an entire system throughout every organ in the body, then it became a very exciting frontier of medical analysis, right? And so those kind of things. And now a lot of us are really, really happy that the scientists are finally coming in. And you know, like you're saying, dialing in to say, this particular ratio really works. Uh, on that particular medical condition and something else. And so a lot of the experimentation they've done so far here in the States has been invalid because they don't take into account the terpenes in their experiments. And they also, the only place you could legally do an experiment was to get cannabis from this University of Mississippi farm where the maximum THC they ever had was 5%, you know? And it's like, anybody on any street corner can get better than that, right? So why are you doing all these experiments with shit weed? You know, I mean, it's just not, not worth it. So now we're, there's a whole lawsuit against the government to say, why don't we do these medical tests with the same quality that anybody can get at any dispensary or any Joe around the corner who grows in his closet? You know, so it's really important to get the scientists the right kind of cannabis so they can really dial in exactly what you're saying, because that's true. You really hit it right on the head. That's really true. And the scientists are going to say, well, this you need these ones and it's going to do you good. So yeah, it's very exciting, actually. Oh, so from the sounds of it, 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 that to me seems like the government who are in charge with the testing, they don't want you guys to test on the stuff that might actually work to help people that's just what it sounds like to me it sounds like they want to keep testing on the low the low yeah. stuff the the ditch weed as you sort of say and just so they can keep saying oh no 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 there's not really a huge benefit it's just for small right. things yeah that's yeah, that's how i see it yeah. They right, can't stop right. the independent researchers, right? Yeah. Uh, and they can't stop the truth from coming out because... Uh, but the other thing to consider, I was going to say is, um, and you guys know this from seeds, obviously, is because we only grow from seed, which is unusual. Most people around here these days grow from clones, especially if they're doing greenhouse work, obviously. Um, but we're really old fashioned. In fact, we only grow from regular seeds. We don't even do feminized seeds and we're just old fashioned hippies. And um, so, but the thing is, as you know, when you grow from a seed, it's total serendipity. And it's just like in a family, you know, you can have two sisters, one's blonde and one's brunette. You don't really know what you're going to get. So that's, that's kind of, something we love about it actually is that serendipity, but yet you do have to reconsider, you're not gonna have that consistency. So you're not gonna be able to say to somebody, every time you smoke, 
this lemon haze or whatever it is, you're going to have this reaction because literally from seed to seed, it can be different and you get the different phenotypes. So that is really something to consider that's very important. And we always try to tell people because the way it works here in California is you can do a 50 pound batch per test. So you basically, you know, you might have, you know, 20 plants to make up a 50 pound batch and you're gonna send those all in together and they're gonna get tested because they go in and they pull out a bud here and a bud here and then they test it all together. But when you go to the store and you buy your eighth of an ounce or whatever you're buying, you don't really know which plant that came off of. So you kind of go with this general overview of, I mean, I have to admit, it's not exact science. The testing is not good that way. And that is an issue that we have to do with seeds. But but yeah, we like that serendipity. We like that idea of, you know, to me, that's to be a real connoisseur kind of thing is to be able to get that unique experience each time. Yeah, and we had, we had a cultivar this year that, that came out with this osamine. Have you, have you guys heard of osamine? It's a terpene mm -hmm. that is, you know, it's kind of rare. Uh, but we had that was the dominant terpene in in this one strain called pineapple upside down. Yeah, it shows up often in heavy pineapple strains. And the pineapple strains, and we're still kind of trying to figure out what is that really doing. But our friends at the testing lab, they're saying, "Oh man, you got osamine, osamine, we love us. What are you talking about, man?" And it's like so that's how we're all learning. We keep learning more and more about this plant, new vocabulary and new features. And that's one of the things that keeps us young. We don't look exactly young, but keeps our brains young and so <laughs> on. So all that excitement. And we have to learn a whole new vocabulary to talk about cannabis. And that's fun too. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. And you know what you were mentioning earlier about Mercine, you know, out of all the testing, it was everything was really Mercine dominant. Is that just you know, the result of natural selection and, you know, just survival of the fittest, that genetic or that just kind of powered through and just beat other terpenes to... Well, we don't know. I mean, we're quite... And maybe if we did that kind of testing in some other state and some other climate, Mersin wouldn't be the dominant one. Maybe it's one that's... And don't forget, it's the dominant one. It's not the only one. Yeah. Right. So I'm going to actually talk to those guys at the lab and say, well, now you have all the statistics. Let's slice it a different way. Right. And let's say, well, in the Mersine dominant, what's the most often second one? Right. And when the beta carophylline dominant, what's the most often second one? Is that is that second one again, Mersine? Or is it something totally else? And so that's the way, once you have that data, you can slice it in all these different ways and say, well, if it's got mercine and beta-carophylline, what's its most likely third one, right? Because now you're really getting into the total profile. Well, I like to call the ensemble, right? That it's all these things working together uh, in, within your own body system too. Right, because everybody's body system metabolism is a little different as well. So, uh, and that's the great glory about the cannabis is that the only way to find out is testing, testing, testing. So smoke another joint and see if it works. Well, smoke another joint and see if that works. Or maybe put some salve or some ointment and, or maybe try a, a dab hit or whatever, you know, and the experimentation of what's gonna work for you, it never stops, man. Always smoke another joint, that's what I say. <laughs> But I think I, I personally see that as, as an upside. Um, <laughs> just try another one. Try another one. But I, I do think there will be some people who probably think, oh, well, why should I have to go through sort of 20 different things to try and find what works for me? But we need to. 
We need more people yeah. to have to unfortunately go through a bit of like an up and down so we can work out what's good for everyone. I mean, I think it'll give us more of a general idea. Yeah. As opposed to say exactly this or this. Yeah. Right. And everybody is different. Everybody has a different reaction. You know, I mean, that's again, getting back to the stigma is, you know, there are those people that um, the first time they ever got high, it was some very high, very high THC indoor grown cannabis that may not have been grown organically. And they had a bad reaction. You know, their heart started to palpitate or they felt you know, nervous and paranoid, that sort of reaction. And then they say, oh, I don't want to go near that stuff again. But if they could gently then try something else, they might find, oh, this is actually okay. You know, I'm smoking some sun grown that's a lower THC. This works a lot better with me. So these are, you know, that created that stigma in that person's head right there that like, oh, this is not a good thing. So we just need to, again, break those stigmas by introducing and teaching. It's all about education. What yeah. you guys are doing is so important. Yeah. It's all about the education and, and really helping people understand what the benefits are and how to go about approaching this plant. Right. Sometimes it goes even further back than that for the person who is smoking a joint for the first time. They've been told all of this stuff their whole lives about right. why cannabis is so bad, that that's in their head already. So by the time they smoke right. it, they start to feel paranoid or bad. It's either because maybe they were scared or, you know, it kind of right. perpetuates it. So I think it's, you know, they play into the same thing, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why just like with psychedelic use, set and setting is so yeah. important, they say, yeah. you yeah. know, so that that person feels comfortable. They're with somebody they trust. You know, that's why, like for us, we've established a cannabis brand and the brand is a lot about trust. You know, it's about people understanding that we know what we're talking about and we really care that we're going to get you something that's super pure and clean and good for your body and good for the planet. And when people can trust that, they're just going to go into the experience with a much more open mind and be calm about it. Yeah, yeah. I do believe I that. Think it's, it's, no, it is that trust. We, we, as we've got onto a few times, like, there's so many different characteristics and parts to the plant that it is just so unfair to, uh, that's what's been done to it, to categorize it as this will make you stupid or this will make you paranoid. Because right. as we've got onto, you could smoke one strain and yeah, that stuff will happen, but you could smoke three other strains and you'll probably have a clearer head and be able to think a lot more and do a lot more things than if you weren't smoking. So it's just so unfair right. to just put it all into one box. And that's exactly. another thing I think we need to break. Exactly, exactly. And that's something we do kind of through the Emerald Cup in different judging kind of situations is, you know, we're trying all these different varieties. And as judges, believe me, we see the difference. We feel the difference between each cannabis cannabis. Like you can smoke, you know, one at, you know, it'll be 11 o'clock at night and you'll, you know, just be kind of like lagging, like, oh my God, we have one more, we got to do it. We got to do it tonight. And then boom, all of a sudden it'll be some strong kind of, you know, just pops you up and you're wide awake. And it's like, okay, that had a real effect, you know, that really woke me up instead of putting me to sleep. So you, you really do get to know that there are very different effects, I mean, which doesn't happen with alcohol. You know, alcohol, you might get a different flavor, a different, you know, all of that. But as far as alcohol, alcohol is alcohol and you're getting a percentage and you're going to get drunk and that's it, you know. So that that's such doesn't have those subtleties that cannabis really offers. Yeah, yeah I think the thing with alcohol, nice. the only difference you really get with that is how you feel the next day. Uh, like <laughs> right. different alcohols very differently. Whereas another amazing thing about weed 
you wake up the next day and oh you feel fine so yeah 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 exactly exactly so true yeah no it's so it's, you guys have any real specific questions you want to ask us so i know we're having a great fun rambling around here but is there anything <laughs> you really want to ask us we, we we very much enjoy uh just a conversation like this there are a couple of things that um we were curious about we touched upon loads of them um anyway in this conversation um i think one of the main things we were really interested in was just hearing history repeats itself and and you know you guys have just watched the the community or the movement just evolve and change in america in ways that we're hoping we can recreate here in the uk so we were wondering what your advice is for us based on where we're at right now in our own journey here in the uk what you think we could be doing as a community as uh, cannabis enthusiasts connoisseurs everyone involved in the uk what we should be doing to try and help encourage our government encourage our people to think about cannabis differently yeah. Right, right. Yeah. I think education is number one, exactly what you're doing. I mean, you just have to get this word out there. You have to get more medical patients that have been cured to really talk about it. I think that made a huge difference here in America when you get uh, people with stage four cancer that have been miraculously cured. You know, you get these really, you know, big cases that happen and that people have to listen to that. They really do. So I think that's a large part of it. And um just, you know, like I say, getting as much press and information out there as you can and, and making it seem when you start pointing out that, you know, you've got moms that are smoking cannabis instead of going home and getting drunk at night or um, just all the different, you know, normal people getting down. So it's not just freaks, you know, we like call them soccer moms. Yeah. Soccer moms going out. I watch Junior go play soccer. And instead of a little cocktail on the sidelines, they have their little mini dab thing or or their little pre-roll or something like that. And so that's a whole different but, yeah, kind of just, attitude. But just to really bring it down to like your seniors. You know, it's a huge among seniors in America because they're really either they used to get high when they were younger and now they're coming back or they're just discovering it for the first pain time. Pain relief, it's pain and relief so and, and sleep. Just present it yeah. in all of those. I mean, I think you're absolutely right and you have no choice to start off with promoting CBD like at Product Earth Expo um, because that's starting to give people the idea that, yeah, this is medicine, this mm. really works. Yeah. So that's a great place to start. But the other absolutely. place to start is local politics. And so, you know, I don't know how it's set up. What we have, we have counties here and each county has a board of supervisors and they're the ones who make the ordinances for the county. And then there's the city councils and they're the ones who make the ordinances for the city. So if, you're, if your political jurisdiction is a city, you've got to go to the meetings of the city council and you got to start talking to them personally, right? When we started here a bunch of years ago, uh, six, seven years ago, just doing local organization, I didn't know the name of any of our supervisors. I didn't know the name of the people in the planning and building department or in the ag department. I didn't know the name of our representatives and all of that. Now I know them all by first name and they all know me. Right. And I can talk to them in the corridor and so on, but they only respond to pressure of numbers. So when a politician wants to make some sort of statement or make some sort of change, they need a whole bunch of people standing behind them. You know, they need that constituency that says we want this. And then the politician can say, well, I don't necessarily totally agree with this, but half of my the people who live in my district, they want this. 
So it gives the politicians some cover to say, I'm not just this radical crazy guy, I'm responding to what the people want. Mm -hmm. So to do that, you need to organize in political organizations, your local people in your area. And that means every county, every shire, uh, you know, Nottinghamshire. Well, the sheriff of Nottingham, he's not for you guys, right? So you need your Robin Hood to organize the local guys <laughs> back in the forest, right? You have to get local organization to put political pressure on the officials. Otherwise, they'll just do what the people with the big money want them to do and the church wants them to do, right? So you have to put up a separate parallel group of organizations, a local organization, and you have to have your, your, your president, your secretary, your treasurer, you have to have bylaws. And all of a sudden you say, hey, we got 50 members here and they pay dues of $10 a, a year or something like that. And, and we want this. And you go to your politician and you say, listen, we're going to vote for you, but actually maybe we won't vote for you. Right. And then you're going to organize and so on. So it's really got to start on the local level and you go up from there. And at the same time, you start talking to some MPs who maybe smoked dope when they were in, at Cambridge or something like that and get them on the wagon. But if you don't have a constituency with you, they're going to just say slough you off. I can't do that. I do it in private and in secret. But once you have a constituency with you demanding this, then you'll get some traction. So the other advice I would give on that is um, when you start looking to America for any sort of advice on this, don't look to California. <laughs> um, our rules and regulations are crazy. I mean, they've just gone too far. Um, oddly enough, look to Oklahoma. <laughs> Who would have thought it? But Oklahoma, I mean, you think of cowboys, right? They have the most progressive and open policies towards cannabis of any state in America right now. So um, that won't look, last long. But look to that. I mean, look, you know, look to states that are, I mean, California's just gotten so overregulated that it's, and between all the taxes, what's happened is the black market, the traditional market continues to prosper because why are people gonna pay all those taxes and pay all those extra fees? So, you know, look at the way that you can present it to your, um, to your politicians that is a way that works for everybody. So it actually works The people that are producing the product can actually make a living off of it, can um, provide something at a price that's gonna be reasonable enough for the people to get it. And yet their state and your, your, um, the whole country feels like, hey, we're making taxes off of this. That feels good. And that's where you're gonna get them. When you can go and say, you're gonna be able to help support your schools, you're gonna be able to help you support your public medicine, wherever you're gonna put these tax dollars, you're gonna make tax money and this is the proof of it. And, and that you can you know, also reflect onto yeah. America to see where the taxes have gone. And the other thing, That's they've important. had statistics and they show that violent crime is down when cannabis is legalized, drug addiction is down, alcohol consumption is down, tobacco consumption is down. And those statistics are pretty darn real. And you have to start then presenting a logical full argument to your local people to say, well, this, it's medical, this, you know, it's beneficial, so on and so on and so forth. And like I say, get your organized people behind it and do the research. And and so on. And what, what you'll find out is you're going to you're going to get to know people in your community that you never thought were stoners, 
right? And you're going to find all kinds of other groups that you can ally with that you never would have met before. You wouldn't even know who these people are. And the cannabis becomes the teacher again. It becomes the teacher about personal health, becomes the teacher about political organization and recognizing other people who maybe you don't agree with on some things, but you do agree on cannabis. And so you work together. And so that's one way, again, cannabis is the great teacher. And uh, just let her lead you on the way and, and she'll bring your allies to you. Yeah, and then be brave, be courageous. You know, someone's got to be the pioneer. And, you know, we really stuck our necks out. I mean, starting nine years ago, we were, Swami was on, you know, the New York Times, this half page picture of him out in his cannabis garden. Nine years ago, when that was not legal at all yet, really. And just barely, you know, kind of this gray market. But we kind of felt someone had to do it. You had to stick your neck out there and do it. So, so take charge, be courageous. You know, you're the pioneers. You're the ones that are going to help the future generations. Yeah, I mean, I think yeah. in, in the UK, I've seen a few things just, just relating back to this, where the, it's been said that the police are no longer looking for small time growers in the UK, huh. but I don't know. I'm still thinking, I don't know whether that's a ploy <laughs> from, from the government to try and get more people to grow so then they can arrest more people or to make people let their guard down or whether it is a general genuine thing that they're not really worried about you unless you're on a huge scale and doing it for a real criminal enterprise. But I think it's just, mm -hmm. it's so weird in England. It, it's, I don't know, it's really hard. Uh, there's places like Durham, which is up north, they've the the chief of their police a few years ago said this exact thing about sort of we're only looking for big time people but can you really trust them when they say that that's that's the hard yeah. thing over here no, it's hard to say and that guy can go out of power and the next guy comes in and he has a different policy and you got a big road <laughs> in your back garden so yeah you do have to consider that and again that's being courageous you know at a certain point you just have to put you put it out there and do it and Pray for the best. You well, know. As we we're still say, praying for the best yeah, here. That's Believe true. We're still we don't praying. have it that yeah. easy. Really. Well, you know, we call that grassroots organizing, right? And it means that both literally and figuratively and all puns intended, right? It's grassroots organizing. And uh, when you mobilize people, but you can also say like your police force, it actually sometimes come down to what is that particular police officer? What is his feeling? And he'll say, oh, it's no problem. Or man, I got to stop this, right? Because that person's been indoctrinated. So yeah, it's still much, very much a personal thing as far even as law enforcement goes. There are people just, oh, I don't care about that. And other people, oh no, I got to get that because my church sent me or whatever it is, you know? You know, there's, there's one thing I'm confident in is that there are definitely enough people in the UK who would be willing to come together and organize and form groups like this around the country to make a change. We actually... We were, we were sitting back one day in, in the office and just talking about how frustrating everything is where we're at. And we were like, you know what? We're just going to try and get a group together of people who can talk online over Zoom during lockdown and try to come up with ideas and try to see, you know, how we can, how we can get um, like reform uh, with legislation. So we just went onto the internet. I think we put one post on one website saying this, is what we want to do. We want people in the UK to come together and share these ideas. And within about 45 minutes, we had... I think 80 people um, like say, yes, I want to be involved and then sign up to do it. So we're just working on setting up the first online meeting around it. But yeah. there's definitely people who want to come together and make this change. And I just think that 
you know, now is probably a better time than ever. People have had time to sit back, be in their homes, have personal time to think about what they want, how they want to do things, you know, if people come together and try to make a change. So I'm hoping that we can. Yeah, and the more people that see you doing that and start recognizing that these groups are existing, then you're going to start having your celebrities come out and say that, oh, well, by the way, I've been getting high for years, or different people that actually, I hate to say it, people in power are going to listen to because they have a name. And so as long as you can, they're going to start feeling more comfortable to speak about it. So it's kind of a snowball effect and it, it actually does work. Yeah. Good luck to you guys. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're rooting for you, really. You know, until then, come to California when you can travel again. We'll be exactly. happy to get you some of our nice Emerald Triangle cannabis. Yeah. Well, I just think yes, maybe please. you can get yes, Prince Charlie to come on board. Uh, you know, who knows? Or, uh, uh, maybe Harry. I don't know I was about William. Say, yeah, Harry. But... Harry's probably our best. Guy. <laughs> Harry's the guy. <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised he hasn't opened his own cannabis business here yet. Yeah, he's yeah. now in Los Angeles, yeah, right? right? Yeah, give it a few months. <laughs> The thing is, <laughs> it's funny saying this, right? We've got because isn't it um, Teresa's mate, Teresa May? Yeah, her husband is apparently a part of one of the biggest cannabis companies that exports from the UK. So clearly, really? clearly, she has yeah. an eye on that because you don't not talk to your husband about things. Yeah, I mean, he's Philip May. Right? Yeah, yeah. He, there's a pharmaceutical oh, called TW or something like oh, that okay, pharmaceutical company um, because the UK are the largest exporter of medical cannabis in the world which is why it's so contradictory that we say that there's no medical uh, property or qualities to cannabis, but yet our government ships it all over the world for that reason. And I believe it's his company or a company he's a director of, Philip May. Yeah, um, yeah he, they kind of own the, uh, the operation that does all the growing in East Anglia of, of the UK. Wow. Uh-huh. I see. So, well, anyway, yeah, that's true, too. There's also, you know, uh, the guy used to be the head of the of the uh, House of Representatives, uh, John Burner from Ohio. He's a big investor in a cannabis company, having been against it his whole life uh, in his legal operation. Now he's raking in the dough. Right. And Mitch McConnell, too, the head of the who used to be the head of the Senate. He's the guy who's pushing, you know, hemp in, in Kentucky and so on. So these people, they speak with forked tongue. You know, they're talking one way this way, one way that way, and they're taking the money back this way too, you know? So it's... Uh... <laughs> so I, I was talking to my parents the other day because they, my dad was saying, he was watching a TV program where they've now managed to make a way where they can lab produce cotton. And I just said to him, I was like, but what's the point, right? You can already grow cotton. And I was like, why don't they just turn to hemp? Why aren't they just going to hemp instead of trying to find new ways of making cotton? Because hemp more likely is going to be cheaper, quicker, right. and like a lot more environmentally friendly than using a lab to make cotton. And he didn't really have any answers for me, my dad. But I thought I'd make quite a valid argument on let's push hemp to the front instead of this. And I said to him, had they have, had they have just done this in 1920 when they made it illegal everywhere, think about where hemp would be today if they hadn't of pushed it back almost 100 years the production you'd have the same quality clothing as cotton the sheets all that sort of stuff so it's just well that's um, part of the prohibition also goes to when uh, uh dupont invented nylon 
right, nylon fiber, and they wanted to replace all hemp with nylon, especially for sails for ships and rope and hawsers for ships and so on and clothing. And so they made this whole thing and that they were part of the prohibition uh, of cannabis, uh, of hemp particularly. But you guys should know that, uh, you know, in the age of sail, before the invention of the internal combustion or the diesel engine, hemp was the motive force for the, for the Navy. If your Navy didn't have hemp, you didn't have a Navy. Right, and so hemp was as important as petroleum is today, mm -hmm. and in fact, every farmer in England was required to grow hemp. You better research that, guys. The truth is, you were required to grow hemp, every farmer, and if you didn't grow it, you would have a fine put on you, and the government gave you the seeds, right? But the farmers wanted to grow uh, vegetables and everything else because they made more money from that. And, but it's so crazy that you had to grow hemp if you were a farmer. Why? Because the Navy needed it. And without that, they didn't have sails and they didn't have a Navy. So now what you're saying, let's go back to hemp fiber and make something that's so much more durable, so much, it, hemp doesn't take nearly as many pesticides or water or anything as cotton does. And so it's a so much superior product. And now they figured out how to make hemp that's as soft as silk. So there's no reason not to go totally to hemp in that way. We just don't want hemp to be conflicting with cannabis, right? right? So we keep our sinsomia happening, right? So that's a, that's a little issue about separation of, of different genetics. Yeah, and that's uh, why they should grow it in Kentucky or a place where yeah. they get a lot more water than we do. We're very dry out here uh -huh. in California. So it, there's certain... Just like we were saying, I mean, there's certain places where it's more appropriate to grow certain strains, certain cultivars, certain ways to grow cannabis. So that people have to just recognize that and go with that. And yeah, it literally can save the world. I mean, it literally can save <laughs> our world. You know, it can well, suck up toxins from yeah. the soil. It does so many great things, yeah. you know. Well, that's, just... Nikki brought up another thing that we're working on here in California. And you guys may be familiar with this. We call it regenerative agriculture. Now in most agriculture, they have huge farms and they put all this fertilizer, but this fertilizer is created chemically, nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, and it's delivered to the plant soil in, a, in the form of a salt. And you know, when salt dries out and so on, it leaves a residue. So all of this chemical farming is actually depleting the nutrients in the soil and it's killing the soil. We're working on what we call living soil or the living the soil food web so that there's there's bacteria and fungi and arthropods and cilia and flagellants and paramecium and amoebas and they're all in the soil and they're all alive and they're all eating and dying and so on and so forth. And that's what feeds the plants. When you put heavy chemistry in there, you upset that balance and you end up killing the soil. So we're working much more towards regenerative farming where we source all of our inputs as close as we can, either from our farm or what we call hyper-locally. So we're using wood chips and we're using manure and we're using worm castings and we're using all these natural ingredients to regenerate the soil and, re and give the fertility to the soil. And then you don't have erosion, you don't have all these salt buildups and so on. And this we want to take out into all the rest of agriculture, because if we don't, we're going to end up with not enough farmland that still is able to grow food because it's all dead from chemistry. So it's very important. We're really on a crusade of this regenerative living soil thing. And it's just as important as cannabis. And 
it grows the best cannabis. That's the other kicker. It grows the best stuff, right? Yeah, I, think it's, I get excited. It's, cool. it's, it's those, I think it's those things where that's the sort of thing that someone like yourself is doing that. Someone from the outside looking in, they might think, okay, so these guys aren't just like weed hippies. They're actually trying to do something for the earth. And they're actually trying to do yeah. something. So we've discovered that from cannabis. What else can we discover from it? What other benefits can we give to the world? And I think it's it's the things like that that come along with it that are really going to push things forward. So I think it's I I think it's really good. So get please get excited about it. It's because it, it's really cool. You know, it's amazing <laughs> when you know being so like marginalized or so unfairly treated by people in power for so many years, but still out of all of that, you know. Uh, just negativity you can come up with creations such as this that ultimately are going to benefit everyone in the world and i think that will end up being the legacy of the cannabis movement 50 years from now and i think that will be you know just so important and, and also like you said it will grow the best cannabis so you know that too <laughs> <laughs> but it's also about the broader category of plant medicine rather than synthetic chemical factory medicines, that plant medicine and, it, and all plant medicine, not just cannabis, is better because of what we call the ensemble, all the trace elements that are in plant medicine that synthetic medicine doesn't have. So the scientists in the Western way, they wanna say, well, this works, but let's pull out the one ingredient that's the active ingredient and make that and concentrate. No, it doesn't work that way. Plant medicine is about all those things working together synergistically with all the things in your own body. Because, well, you know, cannabis has, uh, it needs 14 different natural elements to grow, only 14. You know, it's carbon, oxygen, and it's got molybdenum and uh, copper and sulfur and so on. But it's only 14 elements to make some of the most amazing medical chemistry any plant produces, right? But you know what? Most of those 14 ingredients that cannabis uses, we use, and it's part of our own physical body, right? So we're so connected to plants and whatever the plant has in its total synergy is what we have. And when they work together, that's when we really work for our health and the plant health and the soil health and the planetary health. And that's what we're working for. Yeah, amen. That's <laughs> awesome. It's like, I think you got some, <coughs> some sort of, uh, some big hills to climb, but uh, it'll be worth it when you get to the top because that all sounds really cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, you just have to come over to California. We'll, I'd love to show you the ranch. Oh, yes, we'd love please. to. Thank yes, you. Please. As soon as this lockdown is over, we're booking flights. Okay, good. Good, good, good. Well, yeah, thank we you. hope to get over there to England again, too. Amazing. Come and, come and say hello. We might not, we can't promise you uh, the lovely hills and fields of, of your cannabis ones, but uh, we'll see what we can do. We, we'll do our best. <laughs> thank you so much for no. spending time with us it's just so amazing speaking with you it's such a pleasure so just really really appreciate it oh well thank you for having us yeah, it's great you. to talk to people over on the other side of the pond as we say and uh stay in touch because we are all one world and cannabis is medicine for all of us so great thank you so much yeah, we, re we really have fun doing it. this too because as you can see we just love to talk and we love to talk about cannabis so to everyone out there who's listening, you know, stay high and always smoke the next joint. <laughs> yeah, and good luck to you, really. That's, thank Go you, forward. thank you. No, we really appreciate it. It's been really good. Um, and we'll, we'll keep smoking so the next much. joint. <laughs>